Welcome to the first episode of the Made in Chattanooga podcast. Starting out with a bang, our first episode was recorded in November of 2017 when we were getting our pilot off the ground to build and launch a podcast. And here we are. Our first episode, we interviewed guests Marcus Shaw, the executive director of Chattanooga's CoLab, and Nick Lutzko, a local artist and musician. We hope you enjoy our first episode of Made in Chattanooga. Thank you so much, Marcus, for joining us. Uh, we're super excited uh, that you're our first guest of the Made in Chattanooga VaynerMedia podcast. Um, and we're super excited to have you in Chattanooga. And so, but since you're still a little new to town, uh, could you tell us a little about yourself and kind of what drew you, how you found yourself in Chattanooga? Absolutely, Mickey. Jesse, thanks so much. And it uh, feels good to be the yeah. first uh, member of the Made in Chattanooga <laughs> podcast. Here we go. Um, my wife and I moved down here. We moved about a year and a half ago. She is a dermatologist and works at a medical practice here in Chattanooga. It's a great opportunity um, for her and for our family to, to really change speed. We have been living in the D.C. area for about six years. We both were raised, grew up and grew up and raised there, um, but also spent time in Atlanta, Durham, North Carolina, and New York. So we've been all up and down the East eastern Coast. seaboard. Yep. yep. So moved inland a little bit uh, here to Chattanooga. Our kids love it. It's a great opportunity. Um, and really some serendipity. We thought about making this move five years ago, okay. decided not to do it at that time. Um, and then the opportunity came around another time and said, why not? And uh, it's been a great opportunity for awesome. us. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about that origin story of yours. So like where, what, what were you doing in D.C.? Uh, what, and what kind of ultimately led you to, to the opportunity? Yeah. Um, I was bitten by a radioactive spider. <laughs> my, my origin story. Um, so... I've had a few different careers um, okay. over the past, you know, 17 years. Uh, I started off as an electrical engineer, went to school down in Atlanta at Morehouse College in Georgia Tech, uh, worked for IBM for several years before I decided to go back to business school at Duke, um, and there fell in love with the world of finance, investing, um, and left there to go on for 10 years to work in investment management, um, starting off at Bank of America and then a fund. Um, and then actually ran a team at a fund in D.C. that focused on regulatory and policy research um, and really got to see the highs and lows of the market. I think sure. I cut my teeth uh, <laughs> in terms of thinking about investing through, you know, those 10 years, 2004 to, you know, 2014. You saw a lot of stuff during that time, <laughs> right? We, we had a couple of blips on the radar. Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, if you can survive that, you can survive anything. Um, during my time in D.C., I had a kind of a change of heart about some things that I wanted to do and really wanted to start giving back and got involved with an organization called Management Leadership for Tomorrow, uh, which is a nonprofit and focuses on helping companies, large companies, nonprofit agencies, government agencies, build diversity in their pipelines through recruiting really top uh, diverse candidates. So folks coming from all different types of backgrounds. Um, and did that for three and a half years. Uh, in fact, the first year of living down here, I worked remote with the organization, traveling all over, building partnerships with companies. What I recognized is that Chattanooga had so much to offer and that I really enjoyed being of impact where I laid my head, right? The city where we're in, like you guys are down here, you're yep. engaged in the city. Um, and there's something that you get from that. One of the first things that I found out when I got down here, and it was a little bit of serendipitous, that uh, our realtor's husband, um, actually is one of the Uber mentors over at CoLab. Oh, awesome. And so uh, our realtor told us that we should, you know, ha had breakfast with her husband, and he said the coolest things going on at the city are happening in the Edney building. Amazing. Um, and I had that at, at that time the opportunity to meet with uh, Mike Bradshaw, who yep. is 
you know, the last executive director for Colab and a great friend, um, and really opened me up to the great things that, that Colab was doing. And then the opportunity came up, you know, several months ago for, yep. for a new executive director. And uh, just, again, good fortune and time and all of that stuff uh, ran together. And it was a great opportunity for me to come in and help our entrepreneurial ecosystem. Yeah, so, so you, you have the financial investment experience to draw on. You have the nonprofit uh, experience to draw on, and then that kind of led you to Colab and right. the opportunity there. But where does like the intersection of technology kind of come into play? Is yeah. it, uh, how did what about I guess Colab attracted you? So, in the investment space, for the time that I worked, I primarily covered tech, media, and telecom awesome. stocks. Um, and so, you know, from being an engineer to covering tech and media stocks and telecom stocks. Um, really gave me some insight on who the movers and shakers in yep. the industry are, what the trends look like in terms of large mature companies and acquisitions and, you know, what the market rewards. Um, and so I thought from that perspective, you know, really being able to give feedback to entrepreneurs, people at the earliest stage of their journey, um, was a real way to help Chattanooga, the entrepreneurs in the region in terms of helping us move down that maturity cycle. Yeah, so... And obviously, Colab has had such an impact. You know, it's been such a central part of the Chattanooga story, and yeah. that's something we'll probably dive a lot into in in future podcasts and things like that. But I guess could could you tell us a little bit about Colab and what does being the front door for entrepreneurs mean, and why does a city like Chattanooga need that front door? So I think Colab and Chattanooga represent the best of both worlds when we're thinking about entrepreneurism in the most holistic sense of the word. Right? Many people think about entrepreneurship and they really think automatically about Silicon Valley yep. and kids in hoodies. Right? <laughs> and granted, that's the story that we see in the movies, that's what we read in Wired magazine. Yep. But the reality is most entrepreneurs are the people that we drink coffee from their coffee shops, we eat at their restaurants, we buy clothing from their stores. Right? They are individuals that live in our communities and they're running businesses um, that are not venture-backed. Right, right, and they're not going to be. They actually have to make money. They have to make money, right? <laughs> These are what this is what people do for a living, right? They're yep. not traded on the stock market. They probably will never IPO, right? But it's how they build wealth and how they create opportunities for their children in their neighborhood. So, I thought that the real special thing about Colab is that they were able to do both, right? They're able to focus on Main Street businesses, local community businesses, but we also have some real success in building businesses that are venture-backed that will lead sure. to you know, large wealth and exits for the founders and for the community. Um, and so I thought that you can only do that in a city like Chattanooga because a city like Chattanooga, where we're 170, 180,000 people yep. in the city, half a million or so in the MSA, it's the perfect scale for us to be able to test both sides of that market. Nice. Um, and you talked a little bit about you know, you're how many months in Colab now? So just under 100 days now. Just under 100 days, yeah. first 100 days. It's a, we'll have to learn about that campaign. But um, And you mentioned Mike Bradshaw. You mentioned Sheldon, uh, yep. even Jack, who was kind of the interim executive director. You know, there's a long line of stewardship kind of for this program. Yep. And so what um, what is the responsibility of kind of bringing that forward mean to you? And what are you going to build on that has been laid in the foundation? And what are the things you're looking to evolve with, with Colab? So, and, and Mickey, you hit dead on it. I mean, one of the great benefits of working for an organization, leading an organization like Colab, 
is that I have all the institutional knowledge here in the city with yep. me. Um, all of the folks, Sheldon, Enoch, Mike, Jack, the board members are all people that I've been able to lean on yep. as we go through our strategic planning session. Um, there's almost no question that I can ask about the history of Colab that there's not somebody within <laughs> 10 blocks that can answer, right? Yep. Charlie Brock, I'd be remiss not yep. to mention him as well. Um, the partnership that we have from institutional leaders, historical, as well as current folks that are involved is, is what allows me to have great confidence in being successful and going forward. Yep. I think some of the things that, that, that we'll see over the next few weeks as we kind of release our strategic plan is that we want to build upon the things that have already been done, right? Understand where success has been present um, and the things that work well. And then we want to take some risk on building new things. Um, a lot of that is around supporting the network of successful entrepreneurs that we've built over this first, you know, eight years yep. now. Um, and so that's something that a lot of the focus historically have been on the front end of the pipeline. Okay. And now we have a group of fantastic companies like Platte Boyd at Branch Technologies and uh, the team over at Collider and the team at Feats and the team at Variable. A number of folks that have come through our system are have had early success and we believe are best positioned and we want to find ways to continue to support them so that they can help drive growth and wealth for the region. And we believe that that's what's going to be ultimately most important for our success. So you've had those early case studies and um, I guess, can you can you give us any, can we break any news on this podcast of the strategic planning or what, what is next? Or is there, is that all still? Well, I'll give you, developing? I'll give you kind of the four, the four highlights okay. that we're talking about um, as our pillars. Number one, program enhancement. Um, we want to continue to focus on the places where we believe Chattanooga has the strongest competitive advantage, right? Yep. And so as a new citizen, right, of, of Chattanooga, yep. um, I think about lifestyle, right? That we all enjoy great lifestyle down here, um, whether that's, you know, food, whether that's outdoors, whether that's entertainment, uh, Chattanooga has a great uh, representative uh, kind of representation of, yep. of the consumer life, right? So we want to focus on B2C. Yep. We want to continue to focus on Gig Tank. We it's have one of the reasons we're here. That's right. You know, that's like right. we have headquarters in New York. We have our West Coast hub is in LA. The majority of Americans don't live like people live in, in New York and LA. The consumer experience is just different. Uh, and this is probably more in line with how most people live in Chattanooga. And so it is kind of that playground where you can test a lot of the different ideas. That's that's absolutely right. I mean, and, you know, if Vayner's here and you guys <laughs> get the market better than most people in the world, um, I think that, that that just supports the fact that consumers are great, or Chattanooga is a great consumer environment. Yep. Um, so we want to focus on the consumer. We want to focus on Gig Tank, which is, you know, I call it the great natural resource of Chattanooga from a technology standpoint that um, Chattanooga continues to have one of the most readily available, uh, cost-effective, and fastest broadband infrastructures of anywhere in the world. We yep. have one gig available everywhere and 10 gig available everywhere for prices that are extremely competitive yep. um, to what you see in other markets. And so we want to bring in people that are going to leverage that high bandwidth infrastructure. Um, gig Tank's been incredibly successful for us over the past and has been the catalyst for some of the great companies that I named before. Yep. Um, we also want to continue to leverage with some of our great partners here um, our logistics industrial transportation infrastructure. Yep. You know, I, I won't say it as a matter of fact, but I would guess that on a per capita basis, Chattanooga probably has 
as many people in the trucking, logistics, and transportation business as any place else in the sure. country. Um, I think so, I've heard that. Someone's thrown around the yeah. fact, like, more freight comes through Chattanooga than anywhere in the country. It is the crossroads of the southeast, yeah. for sure, right? Within two hours, we have, you know, several million people that are receiving goods and services, um, and, and those trucks are coming through Chattanooga. Yeah. Um, and then we have a great healthcare infrastructure here, right, with Unum and um, Erlanger and Blue yep. Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee headquartered here. We want to make sure that we're positioning ourselves to leverage what I really believe are our competitive advantages, and that's consumer, gig tank, logistics, transportation, and healthcare. Yep. So obviously Nashville's got a huge healthcare presence as well, so exactly. tapping into that. As and, well. and we have great relationships with, uh, with the organizations and the entrepreneurial ecosystem there. Right. And we want to just find ways to augment that. Uh, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that Chattanooga has this way of kind of inviting people to dive in, yeah. right? Like you get here and you immediately see opportunity or you immediately get invited to participate. Why do you think that is? Like what is it What what is it about this community and this town that gets people to just want to jump, you know, feet first in? Um, and what gets you excited about diving in? Um, so that is another great kind of competitive advantage. I think a lot of it is cultural. I think that the, you know, the culture of Chattanooga is one, and, you know, there's the name, the Chattanooga way, right? right. That the expectation here is give before you get um, and give without expecting in return, right? And yep. it's one of these social phenomenon that if everybody does it, then you get what you have here, right? But if you have a bad actor or a bad actress, right, then it doesn't work, right? Yep. And so the numbers allow it to work in Chattanooga. I've certainly been a beneficiary of that. Um, everything that we've done at CoLab, whether it's, you know, our demo day, Will This Float, Startup yep. Week, um, we've had great reception and great participation from public, private, NGO, civic sector. Um, Good numbers, people showing up yeah, to pe- those events. Yeah, people are showing up. Yep. I mean, Will This Float, we had to pull out additional chairs, which yep. is, to me, always the measure of, of a great event. We had our Maker Fair back in September. Um, I generally measure things like that by how much I have to argue with my daughter <laughs> when it's time to go. And uh, she, we were there for about five hours, and That's she awesome. still wanted to go to more yep. stuff. So the community shows up in a big way um, for things. And you know what is incumbent upon me is also to show up for other people's stuff. So I love going to all of our partners, all of the community partners that we have, um, being present there. And that's how you build a great network. That density yep. creates a lot of power for you know the startup ecosystem, for the current business ecosystem, for the political ecosystem. Um, political ecosystem. It causes that density ca- causes a lot of power. So one thing actually to to build on that is that it's not all sunshines and rainbows, right? That's like right. there's still a lot of work to be done. It's why you're here. It's why you're doing the work that you do. And you know, Startup Week was recently, and you moderated a really interesting panel, kind of that pried open some of those issues and talked yeah. about policy and talked about um, you know education and diversity and inclusion, entrepreneurship, and like wh- how can entrepreneurship have an impact on the city as an economic development overall, but also how do we as citizens engage in meaningful dialogue and talk about real solutions to some of the issues that we face? I guess, what compelled you to lead that discussion? What did you get out of it? And, uh, you know, what is it, again, as a relative newcomer to the community yeah. felt like, like compelled you to act on that? Yeah, so I think um, a lot of my enthusiasm around being highly um, visible and participating in what's going on here in Chattanooga is driven by the fact that I've seen what happens in other cities, okay. right? That, that 
you know, in major cities, whether that's D.C. or New York or Atlanta, it's very difficult to get stuff done um, by kind of even leaders of smaller organizations right. because the, the, the inertia is so much against yep. progress, yep. right? And it takes a lot to get that momentum and that inertia um, up to speed. I think what's really awesome about Chattanooga is you can get a room of 10 people together and move the needle. Yeah. You know, I look at Startup Week, 192 events over five days. Yep. That organization... Was that too much? Or well, too- no, no. I think, no? I, think, okay. I think there's, you know, it's the lean mentality, right? <laughs> if, if it's too much, the market will tell, and yep. next year we'll scale it down, yep. right? But what's most amazing to me is that for a large part of the, the logistics and the organization around that event was done by, you know, a dozen young women under the age of 35, yep. right? To put on an event of that size in a city like Chattanooga um, to be accomplished by people that young yep. and that diverse is something that wouldn't happen in other cities, yep. right? And that's a beautiful thing. And it's like we get to start from ground zero doing it the right way, doing it with a lot of diversity, a lot of inclusion. And I mean that in terms of age, in terms of race, in terms of gender, in terms of regionality. Perspective. Um, perspective, right? We get to start that off from day one. And uh, that's a real social benefit for the city. It's also a bit of an obligation in a way. Yeah. Like you've got you've to you've do that. You've yeah. got to address those things because there are, I mean, there are real issues that, you know, from education, workforce development, all of those yeah. things. And they don't get solved just by putting your head in the sand. Absolutely, Mickey. I mean, I think, um, you know, there is, you know, I call it, it's like the burden of, of optimism, sure. right? In that you have an obligation to show up for stuff in Chattanooga, right? Yep. And I think, um, you know, that was shared by a few of the folks that, that have been generational leaders, yep. you know, in the city. When when somebody asks you to come to something, yep. you show up, right? <laughs> if somebody asks you to take a meeting, you take the meeting. Um, because, again, you can't have a bad actor yep. in the system. Yep. So uh, another kind of thing about Chattanooga that I've learned is that Chattanoogans like to think of this place as a bit of a hidden gem. Yeah. So far, just that I've even had some people complain that we've gotten too much attention yeah. recently. <laughs> um, so asking a little bit about like life outside of innovation, outside of your day-to-day work, what are some of those favorite local spots or favorite local things, activities to do, places to go? What's the hidden gem for you? Oh, man. Um I think a lot of it revolves around my kids, right? <laughs> so we uh, we are, you know, the Hashtag weekends. dad life. Yeah, dad life, man. The weekends are just the days that you don't go to the office, <laughs> right? But you're still working. My kids' Saturday and Sunday schedule um, is, is pretty active. I mean, I will call out a few things that I yep. think are awesome. Um, I love what's going on on Southside. I think, you know, despite my salt and pepper, right, gray hair, <laughs> um, it's still a pretty cool environment. Yep, um, for sure. I think, you know, North Shore, again, really, really cool stuff going on there. We live out in the Brainerd area. I love the fact that, you know, in a place like Chattanooga, you can be 15 miles from downtown and live out in the burbs, and you can still enjoy the best of both worlds, right? Yep. In D.C., I was about the same distance from the office as I was, as I am here, and it was an hour and a half commute, <laughs> right? So I don't lose three hours during the day just trying to get back and forth between work and home. Um, and on the weekends, that's awesome, too, because in the same day, we can hang out in the yard and yep. race RC cars and then come down and have dinner downtown. Awesome. 
Um, so the last question is going to be a completely off the wall question. All right. Uh, it's a tradition that we do at our office anytime we have a visitor come okay. to the VaynerMedia Chattanooga office. Um, we play a game called Laminate. And laminate. what laminate means is once you answer the question, it's laminated for life. You know, like you can't unlaminate something, right? Um, and so the question is, uh, if you could only have five condiments for the rest of your life, uh, and think of them as if they got shot out of like your finger, yes. so like your thumb, your you know index, middle, uh, etc. Um, what would those five condiments be? All right. So number one, blue trees dressing. Super serious. Like out the it. thumb. Out, yeah. out the gate. All day. Yep. Um, number two, this is a shout out to my D.C. heritage. Okay. Um, Mambo sauce, which is available only in D.C. Folks should Google that. Okay. Uh, ranch dressing. Yeah, I, I can't laminate ranch. Okay. I mean, blue cheese is the sure. best condiment for wings. Um, ketchup and mayo. Okay. And... Uh, Old Bay, does that count? Old yes. Bay absolutely Old Bay counts. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I got a lot of DC references. That's great. There, right? That's yeah. great. So we'll <laughs> laminate that up. Um, and for future listeners, we'll have debates maybe around what is a condiment. Yeah. But I think Marcus answered the what is a condiment question appropriately. You handled that polarizing question. That's very super well. fair. It's, it, you could start a There's war. There's a lot of debate around <laughs> what is, what is, what is not a, a condiment. What is and what is not a condiment. And uh, we'll 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 table that for another time. But Perfect. I think you 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 hit it square on. So Marcus, appreciate your time. Thanks for being in the city. Absolutely. Thanks for jumping in, diving in. Uh, we're super excited to see what comes out of the strategic planning with Colab and see how you guys continue to impact our city. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you so much. You. Take care. So next up is our interview with Nick Lutzko. Nick's uh, a great friend of mine. Probably one of the first musicians, artists that I got to know well here in Chattanooga, Tennessee upon moving here in 2015. And I, and I was really struck by not only his stage presence, but the creativity behind what he brought to the table for all of his audience. And um, it was a mix of, um, of incredible music, really kind of like Talking Heads inspired, really, really energetic rock music with an interesting twist. And that interesting twist is that Nick's created this world. And that's a world of um, him kind of front, front leading a band of puppets. And these are interesting, eclectic creatures that um, I'm going to let Nick explain how that really came to life, what these creatures are, who they are, what they bring to the table. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about his own career because I think it's very interesting. And as I said, I'll put my own stake in the ground and say that Nick is probably one of the most creative people here in Chattanooga. So without further ado, we're going to talk to Nick Lutzko. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I... Mainly grew up in Chattanooga. I wasn't born here, but I moved here in the second grade, so I've spent most of my life here. I started doing music really young, uh, elementary school age. Started taking it seriously around high school and had some success with my first band, Infinite Orange. Uh, we did like a lot of the local like festivals, like Riverbend and Nightfall, <clears throat> and had a her like a, a really early run with success on a local scale. And that was my freshman and sophomore year in high school. And I think having that early onslaught of success in the long run almost kind of hurt me because it got to the point where, like, the older we got, the less people really cared because it was kind of a novelty of all these 15-, 16-year-old kids playing, like, college-age music. And then uh, by the time I was in college, less people were paying attention, and I kind of had this mindset, like, oh, music's this thing where you just show up and people give you gigs and people come and buy your CDs. And um, I think I had this... Uh, warped mentality to kind of sit around and wait for someone to give me a record deal for years until I graduated 
and realized I had nothing to show for what my passion was. And that's when I really decided that like, if I was going to pursue this, I needed to make it a full-time job. And, uh, that, that was around 2013, the start of 2013. I think that's where I would say that I really seriously started my career as a musician. Very cool. So after, after that, that kind of inflection point where you realized that to take it to the next level, you'd have to make music and creating your, your full-time job. How did you kind of approach that? What was your, what was your next step from there? Yeah, well, in school, I majored in commercial songwriting, and I did it just because it was something that I'd done, you know, with my band, and I didn't really research what that entailed, and I took the classes. It was uh, it was a cool program, but it was very much in the, the, the guinea pig process as far as, like, my first year was the first year that I ever tried it out, so I was taking my major with people who were taking the class as an elective, so there was a lot of students that were being graded on a skill that was, I don't sing, I don't have any interest in writing songs, or but this is something that I'm taking as an easy A, versus me who's trying to like learn skills for the rest of my life. So I kind of checked out. Long story short, I feel like songwriting is something that a certificate doesn't say a whole lot. I feel like the song is what speaks for itself. And and I felt like uh, being so close to Nashville at MTSU, um, they were wanting you to write more pop radio stuff, just which never really I felt like the more I tried to fit into that mold the worse my songs got I just wasn't good at doing that so um when I graduated I decided that I wanted to figure out like what my voice was and I realized that I had spent so much time making excuses in that like I don't have a decent recording software or I don't have a band or I don't have the right microphone and I just kept putting off putting out music until I finally got to the point where I was like well it's now or nothing. I don't really have anything to show for this. And I decided to put out something that represented exactly where I was at that time. I had a really cheap student version of Pro Tools that had like a 10, uh, a 10 track limitation. And I decided to record a folk record because that was uh, really all I could. You know, I couldn't, I didn't have enough tracks to record full drums or any kind of full band production. And I always loved um, Bob Dylan and Neil Young and Simon and Garfunkel and the early Beatles stuff. So I decided to use my limitations and try to write a record just primarily using acoustic instruments. Any of the percussion was all mouth sounds and snaps and claps. And uh, I recorded that record. I had it done uh, about September of 2013. And then I decided to book a tour. And I did about a two-month-long run <clears throat> just by myself in my car uh, down towards the Gulf over to Texas, up towards Chicago, back down towards Florida, up to New York, and then back to Chattanooga. And on that run, I basically raised enough money to come home and uh, buy, upgrade my recording equipment. And that's when I recorded my most recent record, et cetera. Awesome. So let's back that up a little bit. You, uh, <laughs> you took a two-month tour out of your own car. Yeah. It was a solo gig? Yeah, yeah. It was just solo acoustic. Yeah. And it was a really awesome experience. It was my first time doing anything like it. Yeah. And uh, I was very ambitious in that I wanted to do this massive run. And I just started booking whatever I could get. And I had a ton of holes. Like it'd be like I'd be playing in New Orleans on a Friday and I wouldn't have anything else until next Tuesday in Texas. So I didn't, I was really like scared of what, how I was going to fill my time or how I was going to spend my time. But luckily, I think it might have been like a 40 day run or something like that. And I was able to play every night just by walking into whether they were bars or coffee shops or restaurants to just explain, hey, I'm Nick Lutzko, I'm out of town musician looking for a place to play, and a lot of places let me set up and play for tips, and that's where I made the majority of the money on that trip. That's fantastic. So those shows that you had lined up, so to speak, I mean, what types of venues were those? What was the type of reception you were 
experiencing? Yeah, um, it really varied a lot. Some of them were like local dive bars mm-hmm. or clubs, and they were opening up for bigger bands. And then other places were literally just coffee shops on a, on a weeknight. And I met uh, some really cool people. Some people really reacted, you know, really strongly and bought CDs and uh, followed me on social media and have, you know, kept up. But a lot of nights you're playing to empty rooms where – you know, you're just playing to smiles or no faces at all. And really, I think the biggest thing I learned from that tour, as awesome as it was, is that I didn't need to travel all over the world to do music for, for, you know what I mean? Like there's a, uh, I, you know, there's plenty of places to play here in Chattanooga. I had this conquer the world mentality, but like if I go to Chicago and make two potential fans, you know, I plant that seed. It's not super feasible to get back up there every few weeks and nourish that, you know? So Mm -hmm. like, I it really changed my game plan to come home and focus on Chattanooga and focus on growing my fan base in Chattanooga as big as I possibly could and then going outward rather than just playing anywhere I could all over the place, um, really honing my skills, focusing on my hometown, and using social media to reach any other markets that I wanted to hit. That's awesome. So you recorded a folk album, <laughs> and then you came back and recorded Etc., which is, I think it the album that I met you through. Right, yeah. And I think that that was not a folk album. No, yeah, and it's a, it's funny because anyone who had heard the previous record probably thought it was a big departure, but really that's a much better representation of music that I always wanted to make. Awesome. I just had the technology to do it. Yeah, so what um, <clears throat> what was the inspiration behind that album? What was the, the process behind it to help you shape your own sound, which I think is very unique? Thank you. Well, I think, um, well, obviously since I played in a band in high school, mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of the mentality. Like I, I wanted a band, I just couldn't find any of the guys who had the same uh, prospects that I did. You know, they, they were on the same level. You know, so I and instead of waiting around to find those people, I decided just to go for it. Yeah. And I was writing, I was always writing music with keeping in mind that I'd be putting together a band when it was came time to put out the record. So I um, really just had so much more to work with as far as like production capabilities and I uh I love like I mentioned the Beatles and like Brian Wilson so I really tried to you know think outside the box and recording like and and I also utilized a lot of the things I'd learned from Harder Mold as far as like doing stomps and claps and mouth sounds and like manipulating those to make interesting sounds and soundscapes a lot of the songs I'd kind of had in my back pocket for years without having a band and it didn't work for the folk record so I think it was a pretty strong release in that, like, these were songs that I've been sitting on and waiting to put out for a while. That's incredible. So a lot of the stories in Etcetera, I think you hear a lot of it, and I think it's kind of how I got a, a lot of landscape on Tennessee, because you talk a lot about Tennessee in that album, and I think you talk yeah. a lot about your own history. What What are those stories? What are those stories that you're sharing in Etcetera? Yeah, um, man, I think it, it ranges for sure. I feel like um, okay is one of the few songs that I actually wrote in college for one of my commercial songwriting uh, classes. And the song is actually, the, the, the chorus is, I can't make myself believe, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm messing up my own song. <laughs> it's a, I can't make myself believe in all the things you say, and I would rather fake it than be thrown away, but I don't feel like that's okay. And I can't believe in all the things I hear, if you won't fully love me, then I'll disappear. I just want to hear you say that I'm okay. And that, it's funny because that was a song that I wrote for my songwriting class, but it was a rap, it was about the class. It was about how it just wasn't working. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want you guys to like what I'm doing, but it's just not, 
coming out of me. And it's just like, I want to be myself and I want that to be okay. You know? And so that was, um, uh, going back a few years by the time that I finally released it on, etc. Um, yeah, I think Dreaming of Medusa is another song that was, uh, heavily inspired by my, uh, run around the country and sleeping in my car and playing to blank faces and all that. And, all shook up. Uh, really, even though that's the one that specifically mentions Chattanooga I or Tennessee. That that's one of my favorite songs. I think the energy behind that and the story, which you read and like listen to the lyrics, there's there's something going on there. Cool. Thank. Yeah. Well, that's what's funny about it is I think a lot of people. It feels like a personal song, but it's really purely fiction. Yeah. It's. Um. I mean, it's. Uh. I run. You know, I'm friends with a ton of musicians, and I feel like I've seen a lot of people kind of get um lost in the whole idea of like the idea of rock and roll and like the lifestyle and they kind of like let the music take a back seat and i mean that's you look at rock history so many artists have that's been their you know downfall and that's why you hear mentions of like elvis presley and phil Spector and these other guys throughout the song so it was really um a fictional creation of that kind of world and set in a world that I recognized. That's super interesting. So you've got these puppets. Yes. As, yeah. as, as, I don't know if the correct terminology is puppets, but <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. I see them as. Right. That's kind of how we, well, that's definitely how it started yeah. in that uh, I started recording music videos for this record mm -hmm. before it went out. And I was releasing this record, still didn't have a band. And right. by the time I recorded the music video for my song Predator, I had these hand puppets that I'd made in college. Mm -hmm. Why did you make hand puppets in college? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the Muppets came out, yeah. you know, the 2011, yeah. the, the reboot, and sure. I just really enjoyed it and was like, I think I'm going to run to Hobby Lobby and make puppets. There's really nothing more to it. Than That's that. awesome. I just, That's so funny. I just had them. Yeah. And it was like, maybe we, like, these hand puppets could be my band for this music video. <laughs> and we had a lot of fun doing that, and it really just started from a point of how can we take, uh, this music video and recreate something similar on mm -hmm. stage? And we got the idea of puppet costumes, mm -hmm. and, uh, we tried to explore that some, and right off the gate, playing those shows... Uh, we had a really strong reaction. I think when uh, you walk into a club and you see like creatures on stage, it kind of like makes you. Uh, it it. W I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Uh, I noticed people were more receptive and that they were willing to stop and like try to figure out what exactly was going on. I think when you go to a bar, usually you're with friends and you're hanging out and you're maybe not. You're, you're there to, like, socialize or drink or whatever. And the music, it's good, but it's in the background. I think when you see the costumes and whatnot, people kind of do a double take and, like, I need to, like, investigate a little bit more. And I think it also allows people to kind of let their guard down and enjoy themselves and have a good time. Yeah. Taking a departure from music production for Nick Lutzko, you've made a name for yourself doing a lot of work over the past, I guess it's been over about, about 12 to 18 months for a company called Super Deluxe, right? Yeah, yeah, it's been, it was August of last month when I first started working with them, so it. it's been right around there, yeah. Very cool. And uh, give us a little background on who Super Deluxe is, what your relationship with them is like. Yeah, so Super Deluxe is an entertainment company out of uh, Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I became familiar with them because there's an, uh, a video editor called Vic Berger. Yeah. He makes hilarious, uh, like, mashups of, like, uh, he started out doing uh, the, the debates, or really, I, I think when I first saw him, he was doing the presidential announcements. Each person, you know, there's like 50 people running for president yeah. last year. So <laughs> he would take their announcement speeches and do these hilarious edits. And I uh, 
started following him online, and he was doing some live updates. He went to the RNC to do commentary yeah. and make videos. And I was watching and enjoying, and I just felt compelled. I just had this little thing in my head, Dick and Tim at the Republican convention. <laughs> and at the time, I was um, really struggling, looking for work, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, man, I'm going to stay up all night working on this and then regret it because it was going to be a total waste of time. But I stayed up all night working on the song, and I tweeted at him the next day, and he loved it, and they ended up using it as a theme song for the video, which that alone was just a huge, yeah. you know, I was I felt really thrilled with that. That's and huge. then I... Uh, Super Deluxe, I don't know if I even mentioned, Vic Berger works for this company, yeah. Super Deluxe. Got it. So their producers reached out, and they said, we really love the song, I want to make the theme song. And I just let them know, you know, I'm trying to do this, uh, these songs full time. You yeah. know, I write, you know, anything. Just let me know if you guys ever need a song. I would, would love to write it and record it, produce it. And I heard back about a month later, and he said, Trump's tweets have been especially emo today. Is there any way you can take the tweets that he's tweeted in the last six hours and turn them into an early 2000s pop punk emo song? Mm-hmm. And I just immediately started work on it. I felt like I had so much to prove. I think I sent them a finished product probably within eight hours, and they loved it, and it did really well. It got like 2.5 million views on Facebook, nice. which was something that I was totally unfamiliar with. Right. And since then, that was, like you said, about 12, 14 months ago, and it's been pretty steady. I do about a song a month for them, and some have been better than others. We had a <laughs> thing with Alex Jones as a Bon Iver song, and that one got about 17 million views on Facebook and yeah. did really well across platforms. So if, if you had to estimate how much footage of Donald Trump, Ivanka Trump, Alex Jones, Tommy Lahren, and Patrick Bateman, You've you've consumed as a result, as a as an effort to produce these works. Well, how much? How much? Uh, way too much. Way too much. Yes. Like from an hours per hundreds <laughs> of hours. Oh man, I don't know. Probably yeah. honestly, That's yeah. Wild. No, yeah. The, honestly, that is by far the most time-consuming aspect of it. I believe it because even for like Tommy Lahren, I'll be like, okay, this is gold. This is gold. This is gold. And I'll be like, okay, now all I need are the phrases nothing but mm-hmm. and it's like okay that should be really easy to find you know the everyone says that you know she's nothing but or mm-hmm. they're nothing but but then it's like okay here's one video down she didn't say it here's another down and then next thing you know it's two hours later you're just listening for those two little words and she never <laughs> says it you know yeah. it's like okay i guess i gotta go another route and um it can be extremely tedious and so, so you're almost beholden to what's on the public record to write a song right yeah, yeah. that's wild and it's tricky because there's no transcripts right so you gotta listen. Yeah. And luckily, YouTube has that button where you can speed it up. Yeah. So I utilize that very often. So pivoting from that, you've uh, you've made a name for yourself in Chattanooga with Heart of Mold and with etc. You've made a name for yourself, I would say, nationally with Super Deluxe and everything like that. And now you're back in Chattanooga. And I think 2018, we've talked about this. It's gonna be a big big year for you, right? Yes, I'm gonna be putting out a new record. I'm focusing on really, you know, amping up the theatrical aspect of our live shows. Awesome. Uh, be continuing to work for Super Deluxe Great. and see what other freelance stuff is out there. Very cool. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what's your what's your production process like for your new album? Knowing that you've come from solo act to, and I think I think it wor- it deserves to be said that etc. was recorded entirely by you. Correct. Yes. Every instrument, every sound was you. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. So, what is what does the next album look like? Yeah, so we're definitely continuing this evolution in yeah. that I have a great band now. And, awesome. But my songwriting process very much 
takes place in the studio and that a lot mm -hmm. of times I'll be playing guitar, find a, a riff that I like, I'll mm -hmm. record it, I'll loop it, mm -hmm. write lyrics and build the song like that. So the, the, the writing is still happening in that way in that it's being, most of the instruments are being performed by myself and yeah. I'm writing all the parts. And then I'm lucky enough to be playing with uh, Eric and also our drummer Adam Brown is a great engineer and producer and I'm able to send both of them because they're both engineers in some regard mm -hmm. i'll send them the files and they will be able to contribute in whatever way they need to if eric okay. wants to relay the bass yeah he's more than welcome to do that and then adam is uh going to be retracking all the drums and helping out with mixing and production and uh it's definitely going to have a more uh it's going to have a fuller sound That's because exciting. before i'm not a drummer i'd program yeah. all the drums so i never right. actually played the drums Got but it. it's awesome actually having like a drummer's hand in it and it's fantastic uh, yeah it's gonna be good you're playing with your brother now too my younger brother jacob yes just started playing xylophone That's awesome. this. yeah it's he's been great it's, very i'm cool. very proud of him so um you're recording your house right in my basement yes and you have a studio down there i do this new song superior placement is the first song i wrote in my new house so we decided to name the rehearsal space the superior basement <laughs> Yeah, and that's where I record out of. Very cool. So we're going to hear Superior Placement by Nick Lutzko. Thanks a lot, Nick. Thanks for spending time with us. Thanks so much for having me.
So that's it. Episode one of Made in Chattanooga. Thanks for sticking around, hearing about Marcus Shaw, meeting Nick Lutzko, and spending some time with us here. And we hope you come back and listen to us. Thanks a lot, and we're out.